and promotions in association with the Irish Times. Live music updates on RTE Radio 1. At AIB, we know backing your child's education is one of the most important things you can do. So we make getting a loan as simple as possible. With quick decisions on loans from €1,000, online, on the phone or in branch. When you get doing, we'll back you. Find out more at AIB.ie. Terms 1 to 5 years. Lending criteria, terms and conditions apply. Security may be required and you must be 18 or over. Allied Irish Banks PLC is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. Dara O'Brien, and welcome to Second Captain Sunday. It's a pleasure to be here, lads. He went up to catch it again and I completely, deliberately smashed him across the hand. And he didn't do nothing for the next 65 minutes. Uh, <laughs> nothing. Just, and I take no joy from it. Well, I don't know. It sounds like you're taking a little bit of joy from it all these years <laughs> later, Darren. I'm a professional storyteller. <laughs> I have to sell the story. Join me, Owen McDevitt, Kieran Murphy, and Ken Early for Second Captain Sunday, Sundays, 10 a.m. on RT Radio 1. On 88 to 90 FM, online and on digital radio, this is RTE Radio 1. It's 10 o'clock. News on Radio 1 with John Finnerty. A very good morning to you. At least 50 people are now believed to have been killed and over 90 wounded in a bomb attack on a wedding party in the Turkish city of Gaziantep. The Turkish president Recep Tayyip Erdogan has said the so-called Islamic State group was more than likely responsible. No group has claimed responsibility for the explosion. The board of the Olympic Council of Ireland is due to meet in Dublin later today to discuss the Rio Games ticketing controversy. The meeting will be chaired by the OCI's acting president, Willie O'Brien, who took over after Pat Hickey temporarily stepped aside following his arrest last Wednesday. Ahead of today's meeting, the OCI has pledged to cooperate fully with the forthcoming state inquiry into the controversy. The inquiry, which is expected to last three months, will be chaired by a retired judge and its terms of reference are expected to be outlined in the coming days. President Michael D. Higgins will deliver the oration at the annual Michael Collins commemoration at Bailnam Law in Cork today. The first time for a sitting head of state to do so. In Dublin, the Minister for Social Protection, Leo Varadkar, will deliver an oration at the annual graveside commemoration of Michael Collins and Arthur Griffith at Glasnevin Cemetery. Gordy are appealing for information about a missing teenager in County Kildare. 16-year-old Aaron Murray was last seen in the Selbridge area on Thursday evening. He's described as being around 6 foot 2 of slim build with short brown hair. When last seen, he was wearing a grey hooded top, grey bottoms, a white t-shirt and black runners. And now the weather. RTE Radio 1 weather with Aer Lingus. For the most flights to Britain, including daily flights to London, Manchester, Liverpool and Birmingham, smart flies Aer Lingus. A few bright spells, but generally cloudy today. Rain over Munster this morning will turn persistent and sometimes heavy and will extend to the rest of the country this afternoon. It'll become misty and humid with fog on hills and exposed coasts. Highest temperatures 17 to 19 degrees. That's all for now. Next news here on RT Radio 1 at 11. John Finnerty, this is RTE Radio 1. Time now for second Captain Sunday. I could have been a contender. I could have been somebody. So he's almost like having a second captain, isn't he? Second captain, first captain, whatever. I never got on those, those, those boys. Hello and welcome to Second Captain Sunday. And thanks very much for spending a little chunk of your morning with myself, Owen McDevitt, with Murph. Hello there, Owen. And with Ken. Hi, Owen, how are you? I'm, well, I'm good, Ken, but I must say, leaving the studio last Sunday, I felt reasonably confident that nothing, nothing could shock me anymore when it came to Ireland's impact on the Olympic Games. We'd already had the positive dope test. We'd had the ticketing scandal. What else could possibly happen? It's been a very dramatic Olympics, so now let's just allow it to limp to its inevitable damp squib conclusion. Quick recap on week two in Rio. Our greatest female Olympic champion of all time was beaten and gave one of the most heartbreaking post-fight interviews I've ever seen. That was quickly eclipsed by the elimination of our best male boxer, who went down in, I think, what you'd describe as a blaze of glory by claiming that his sport stings from the core right to the top. <laughs> Still can't get over that Michael Conlon interview. And the president of our Olympic Council, one of the most powerful men in the Olympic movement, was arrested, hospitalised, and then moved to a jail in Rio de Janeiro. I'll admit it, lads, I'm officially shocked this morning. Tons of reporting on Pat Hickey today in the newspapers, Ken, and, and much of it not very sympathetic, I would say. Well, it's, all, it's often the way when a powerful person uh, suffers a... 
significant reverse, I suppose is how you could describe what's happened to Pat Hickey. Uh, it's usually the way a lot of stories start to come out. Um, some of them shining a light in the kind of personal qualities of a uh, top sports administrator. Um, one indication of Pat Hickey's ruthlessness is a story told by Eamon Coughlin, um, where he, <laughs> essentially in 2001, he had expressed a preference for Hickey's opponent in the presidential election of the Olympic Council of Ireland. This is in the Sunday Times today, yeah? <clears throat> yeah, this was by Stephen O'Brien, actually, in the Sunday Times. Um, so Hickey won that election a week later runs into Eamon Coughlin at a function. Coughlin says, hello, Pat. Pat says, Coughlin, you were always a loser. You were a loser in the Olympics. You voted for a loser last week and you will never be part of the Olympic movement here in Ireland. Then tells him where to go with one or two expletives. Right. <laughs> uh, now, uh, but, but OK, uh, fair enough. You know, he, he did express an opinion, uh, you know, against he, he wanted Hickey's opponent to win. But then... Uh, Cockling continues, we adjourned to the bar area later. Mr. Hickey came in and bent down to schmooze my wife and give her a kiss. How are you, Yvonne? Great to see you. She stood up and said, after what you said to my husband, and then she told him where to go. There were some expletive views there. Again, I've never heard her say that before nor since, uh, says uh, Amy Cockling. So I thought that was remarkable. You know, anyone can sort of pursue a simple vendetta which is the, the word Coughlin uses to, to characterize uh, Hickey's approach to him. But the ability to just then turn on a penny and <laughs> sort of be really charming to the wife, I think is what sets the true elite in yeah. sports administration uh, apart from the pack. Uh, I mean, there's a couple of other stories. His dealings with politicians uh, are quite funny. I mean, there was the whole issue with Shane Ross there last week where, you know, Shane Ross seems seemed somewhat bemused and befuddled and there was, you know, uh, we've, we've seen that, but, the, you know, in, in the papers today, um, for instance, again, Stephen O'Brien, Sarah McInerney reporting Jim McDade back in the day. Jim McDade was the you know, sports minister sort of late 90s, um, had some issues trying to get the OCI to produce accounts. They were dragging their heels. Um, Hickey was then quoted, <clears throat> excuse me, as saying he's not going to invite Jim McDade to the Olympics. He'll have to go as a tourist. Um, so eventually, as the Olympics gets ever closer in 2000, Sydney Olympics, um, Jim McDade's department contacts the OCI and says, seriously, where's this invitation? You know, this is, this is getting ridiculous. They said, oh, well, there's been an invitation there since 1997 when he took office. We, we were surprised, frankly surprised he hadn't, uh, he hadn't responded. So they said, well, we, we've got no record of that, but yes, okay, we accept the invitation. Uh, and there was then a, a letter from, from Pat Hickey where, where he said, I'm very happy to note that notwithstanding the delay, you've decided to come along. Uh, and then he... <laughs> And then he advises Jim McDade, he says, as an experienced politician, you will appreciate that one should never rely on media speculation. So uh, lovely advice there for Jim McDade from his, uh, from his political counterpart in sport. Thomas Back, the IOC president, finally spoke this weekend. He said, what we know is that Hickey has not been heard by a judge yet and more so the presumption of innocence prevails, which is true. It's interesting, though, that the... I would say this stops short of an all-guns-blazing show of support for their man. I don't know if you read Keith Duggan's brilliant piece yesterday about the IOC's handling of this during the week. Their communications director, Mark Adams, was, uh, I think, impressed, uh, Keith Duggan, in, in, a, in a strange sort of a mm. way with his... I've seen, I saw the man his, in action, With actually. his smoothness and his, uh, yeah, his ability never to get ruffled. In a way, Adams said nothing about Pat Hickey, says Duggan, and that said everything, even as he calmly reminded those gathered of Hickey's entitlement to the presumption of innocence as to the lack of clarity over the precise nature of the charges, over the fact that really it was a matter for the Olympic Council of Ireland. You could actually see the gap forming and then widening between the Irishman and the other family members of the IOC executive. We'll talk a little bit more about the Hickey story later on. There has been some good stuff happening in Rio these last seven days and we'll check in with a couple of people making it happen a little later. Olympic silver medalist Annalise Murphy and our second captain's tip from last week, Natalia Coyle, who went brilliantly, delighted to say, to finish seventh in the modern pentathlon on Friday night. So we'll talk to the two of them a little bit later on. Today is the final day of the Olympics, which makes it Marathon Day and it's a race that has given us plenty of joy over the years. Most famously, obviously, John Tracy's silver in Los Angeles. But uh, we're going to go back to the Tokyo Games of 90 1964 today to hear the amazing story of an Irish runner who didn't medal 
but did become a heroic figure in the childhood of today's guest, author and columnist Fintan O'Toole. Murph joins us mm. this morning. Fintan is the perfect guest for the show as he happens to be one of Ireland's foremost closet marathon runners and aficionados. He can run a marathon damn fast, people. A lot faster than me, that's all I know. And he has an opinion or two on the Pat Hickey story as well. So uh, as well as to telling that story from Tokyo 64, Fintan will be getting himself into the shake-up to become Ireland's greatest non-sports person, sports person, the current second Captain Sunday, this Sporting Life leaderboard. Please, Murph. I could have been a contender. I could have been somebody. So Gabby Logan has spent most of the last two weeks banging on to Michael Johnson and Steve Cram about how she sits proudly atop Ireland's greatest ever non-sports person, sports person leaderboard with 88 points on David O'Darty and Daryl O'Brien make up the top three and Lenny Abrahamson is currently last with 70 points. Des Bishop and Peter Coonan have secured mid-table respectability but will it be a relegation scrap for Fintan O'Toole this morning? That, Owen, <laughs> is the question we're all asking here. You can text us 51551 tweet at Second Captain's the email address as always is secondcaptains at rte.ie Delighted to say Fintan O'Toole is coming right up. This is Second Captain Sunday. Yeah, that was tears for fears and something happens here on Second Captain Sunday. We've been outlining some of the madness that has been happening at the Olympics from dodgy judging in the boxing to Pat Hickey's arrest and detention in a Rio jail. Fintan O'Toole, are you entertained? You know, it certainly hasn't lacked drama. Um, I used to be a, a drama critic uh, in, 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 in an <laughs> earlier life and, uh, you know, certainly from that point of view, it, it hasn't let us down. But, you know, I suppose... It's it's kind of what we expected, really, isn't it? I mean, not not in the detail of it, but I think most people going into the Olympics had a sense that there's this huge yawning gulf between 
the heroism of some of the athletes. And, you know, we saw the, the, the O'Donovans or Annalise Murphy, you know, gave us such fantastic, but also, you know, loads of other athletes who really performed fantastically well. And there's that side of it. And then there's the Olympics itself, which I think has just become, you know, pretty grotesque and, and uh, untrustworthy, you know. And, and I think we're all in this kind of really weird position where we really want to enjoy it and we get carried away by it. But at the back of your head, there's always this this sense of slight disgust about it. Yeah, and I do want to get on to that grotesque, <laughs> the grotesque <laughs> nature of it. But I want to, first of all, if you don't mind taking us back to 1964, we've already flagged this brilliant piece that you wrote in the Irish Times a couple of weeks ago about the 1964 games and the impact that they had on you. Yeah, you know, I, I, I mean, I, I'm going to sound really, really old now, because not only because we're talking about the 1964 Olympics, but also because, and I think a lot of younger listeners will just find this completely incomprehensible, in those days, you kind of waited for the movie to come out at the Olympics, you know, <laughs> and the movie came out in 1965. So uh, the, the Olympics 64 was, was, was in Tokyo. Uh, and I think it was the autumn of 1965. My dad took myself and my older brother to see the movie. So I would have been I would have been seven at that stage. Uh, and I didn't really know anything about the Olympics much. Uh, and to be quite honest, I don't remember all that much about the movie i've watched it since but i don't, I don't remember it, like what what i really kind of uh, saw back then except for one absolutely astonishing sequence uh, which is the olympic marathon in in 64 uh, it was dominated by this absolutely wonderful runner he was really kind of the first of the african runners to to break through on on the world stage a guy called abibi bakila from ethiopia and he had won the uh, the marathon completely out of the blue in Rome in 1960. And then he just completely devastated the entire field in, in Tokyo in, in 64. So the, the camera, you kind of obviously are watching this majestic runner, you know, who's just devastating everybody. And he, he, he breaks for home, I think around 18 miles, you know, so a long way to go. And nobody goes with him except for one runner. And the one runner was the Irish guy. And I remember vividly watching that you know because there was this incredibly skinny almost skeletal pale man in a in a green vest uh who goes after this kind of majestic african you know um and then you're you're kind of it, it, it may seem weird i didn't know what was what, what happened even though it happened you know a year before <laughs> I, i'm watching this and i have no idea what's going to happen i think oh god he's going to chase him you know he's going to fight he's going to catch him uh and then it, you know it cuts to bikila running this kind of metronomic pace and then suddenly you see that uh hogan who's the irish guy isn't second uh and then you see this you see him walking and he's walking along the side of the road and he's he's trying to wave at people trying to kind of blow kisses and then he collapses and he's, he's, he's sitting down on the ground with his, his back just against the rope that was kind of separating him from the spectators. And his face is almost like death, you know, and, and, and he's making this, this gesture. And I'll never, ever forget it. You know, he's just trying to raise his hand to his mouth and he just can barely get the energy to lift his hand to his mouth and he can't speak. And he's lifting his hand to his mouth saying, give me water, give me water, you know. Uh, and, and a cup of water comes in, just you don't kind of see the who was giving it to him, you know, and, and it, it just, I, I, I never, ever forget it, you know, because it was, it, it was such, it was so heroic, you know, and, and you realized he kept chasing this guy, even though he himself at this stage was way, way ahead of everybody else in the silver medal position, but he wouldn't give up. He wouldn't stop chasing. And, and then of course you see everybody passing him, you know, when he's lying on the ground. Uh, and I, you know, I was, I was seven. Um, I, I'd made my, first communion and in those days it, when you made your first communion you weren't allowed to cry anymore <laughs> as a boy <laughs> and i remember sitting there in the dark in the cinema you know uh, hoping my my brother and my father wouldn't wouldn't see me you know hoping i wouldn't start some sobbing out loud but you know cr crying because it was just it was so moving and and heroic and and uh, it just always stuck with me you know this 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 man and i i i had no idea who he was and uh, then people, I think Irish people kind of forgot about him. Uh, you know, he, he was, he was called Jim Hogan. He was from Limerick, working class kind of Limerick as a, you know, most of that generation did. He went to London, uh, lived in, lived in London, basically had his, you know, became a, a, a long distance runner pretty much on his own. I think, uh, was a great runner. And then I, I don't really know. He changed his name. His name actually wasn't Jim Hogan. It was Jim Cregan, I think, um, 
And then he, he, he changed his nationality ultimately. So after the Olympics, he, he, he decided he was going to run for Britain later on. So he was obviously a kind of um, an angular sort of figure, you know, who was kind of forgotten about, I think, in, in history of our sport. But he's, he, he provides the greatest single moment in what's one of the greatest Olympic films ever made. What, is the, what was it, do you think, that transfixed you? Was it the human suffering that you saw, as you say, the heroic nature of chasing down the, the, the winner rather than maybe being cautious and taking a second place and a possible silver medal? Or was it the fact that this was an Irish guy? Were you connecting it in, in some sort of a nationalistic I, yeah, well, way? You know, I was connecting, I know, definitely. You know, the reason I, I was kind of watching out for him was because you know, you, you'd kind of seen him earlier on so obviously the movie's kind of intercutting between different things. And you've kind of seen him earlier on beginning this, this chase of Abibi Bikila. You know, it's, oh, and, you know I, I, I know it kind of sounds incredibly stupid but because this is a year later, but I'm still thinking, oh, maybe he's going to win the gold medal, you know. <laughs> so uh, as a kid, I'm watching and thinking, oh, God, he's going to win the gold medal. And then you have this absolutely tragic outcome, you know, and, and where you, you, you genuinely then think, oh my God, he's going to die. You know, so it went from this thing of, of maybe he's going to win a gold medal, which would have been an astonishing thing, to maybe he's going to die because he's lying on, on the, the ground, he can't speak, and he's, he's desperately trying to get some water. You know? So it was just the pure drama of it, I think, and the human drama of it. Uh, and then realizing, you know, thinking back, that, that, that they had had a shot earlier on of the runners passing, I suppose, must have been one of the last water stations, and Hogan doesn't stop for water, you know, uh, and he could have because, he, you know, he was he was he was he was doing so well. Probably if he'd stopped for water, he would have just carried on and got the silver medal, but he wouldn't stop. He just kept going. And of course, it's a kind of madness, but it was a sort of heroic madness. And it just had an integrity to it. It was just this idea that this guy was out there and the only thing he was going to try and do was win this race. And he wasn't really interested in anything else. Um, and uh, it, it just kind of seared its way into my brain really yeah and the way the movie is shot even it's actually it's all on youtube so <laughs> i ended up spending a bit of yesterday watching uh the last half hour or so of it and the the last the last thing that's said about the marathon nearly is that there were 68 competitors started and 10 of them failed to finish and the way that it was shot and the way that the nar- narrator actually says that it's like god i mean are we leaving dead bodies behind us here i mean it's like how yeah. dramatic could this could this actually get yeah, yeah. I mean, it, 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 it really felt like that, you know. And I think the other thing that's kind of people will kind of find a bit strange, you know, in the way we're talking about it. But in those days, the marathon itself was like an extraordinary event. I mean, just the idea of people running marathons was unbelievable, you know. And I remember my father saying, it's 26 miles. You know, you run for 26 miles. And even the idea of running a mile, you know, when you're a kid is amazing. So it was just like the, the whole thing was kind of superhuman. And uh, I, I ran a couple of marathons myself later on in life, you know. And, and I think it was partly because just the sheer glamour of the idea that, you know, uh, I'm not going to tell you what my time was, but, you know, <laughs> the idea that you were doing the same thing as a Bibi Bikila, you know, whatever yeah, don't worry, Fintan, we will be revealing those times a little oh, bit later. Don't worry, we'll get to that. Yeah, we want to save the best <laughs> stuff till last. Actually, you need to go back to this idea that you were seeing all this a year later. You were watching this movie that came out, because this is something that, uh, I know FIFA probably still do, these official movies of the World Cup, and the Olympics maybe has an even more storied and maybe checkered history of these o- Olympic movies, which are supposed to showcase what an individual games is all about. Oh, yeah, you know, and, and uh, the movie, I suppose, was a kind of propaganda, you know, uh, and it's not accidental. I mean, when you say Olympic and movie in, in, in the same breath, everybody thinks about Lenny Riefenstahl's famous film Olympia, you know, of the 1936, the, the infamous Hitler Olympics in, in Berlin. Um, and it's, it, it's a very disturbing film to watch because it is an absolutely riveting film. It's, it's, it's one of the key movies in the whole history of documentary making you know it's 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 magnificently shot it's the editing is stunning uh the whole framing you know because it's black and white you know so it's framed in that kind of classical way um and it's a really riveting movie um and actually uh, it's really interesting to look at uh kan ishikawa's film of the tokyo olympics because when i looked at it again uh recently i realized it's a kind of a a reply or maybe an implied criticism of Riefenstahl's film. Because Riefenstahl's film is about the Olympics as just about the winners. 
just about these kind of godlike figures, you know, and it is kind of Nazi ideology in a way. It's the body beautiful. It's, you know, the, 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 the kind of Superman idea, you know, which is the Ubermensch, you know, and it was really tied into the politics of it. And then uh, the film of the Tokyo Olympics, which is really worth watching. I mean, even if you don't think you're interested in sport or the Olympics, it's a magnificent film to watch. It's a fantastically made film. But when you look at it, it's much more about the communal event, you know. So, so there's there's lots of shots. I mean, we know Lenny Riefenstahl would would not have uh, trained the camera on Jim Hogan. You know, <laughs> the loser would not have had a place in in the movie. Uh, but the Tokyo film has, you know, the, the crowds, the the athletes as a whole, the event as a whole, and in a way, looking back on it, it's a kind of maybe one of the very few things that captures what you think might be the Olympic spirit in, in, in the best sense of it, you know. And, and you look back and you think, my God, this was only less than 20 years after the atomic bombs were dropped on, on, on Hiroshima and Nagasaki after the end of the Second World War. You know, it's in Japan. It, it's, it's so, there's a, there's a sense of, you know, seeing this place, seeing these people uh, showing themselves off to the world as a peaceful celebration. Yeah, Fid, I get the sense, well, I get the sense because you've already called the Olympics, the current Olympics, grotesque and wrote a couple of weeks ago <laughs> that you despise this fake Olympics of phony winners, uh, that the current uh, sort of incarnation of the Games leaves you cold. Uh, what is it about the way that it is now that's different from how it was back then? Yeah, of course, I wrote that a couple of weeks ago, and then, of course, you get sucked in, you know, so <laughs> <laughs> I would probably moderate my language slightly now, you know. Uh, I mean, it is the ultimate corporate events now you know and in a way it's a very um people say well it's a it's it's you know it's a very dishonest event but in one way it's actually very honest you know it's, it is a very good representation of the kind of hyper global society that we live in and it's sort of it's values of of just absolute hyperbole uh overstating everything only being interested in winners not being interested in losers all that kind of stuff that's going on and the waste, you know, the sheer wastefulness of it, you know, and I think it's kind of pointing us towards a notion that actually the Olympics, as it was conceived, you know, it was a 19th century idea. And it was an idea about human progress. And it was an idea about, you know, this sort of imperial uh, period, uh, you know, when everything was going to get better, everything was going to get faster. We were going to, you know, there were no boundaries. And actually, we're in a period now in the 21st century when we need to say, actually, you know what, boundaries and limits, there are limits. And, and one of the limits is you should not be spending billions and billions and billions of dollars that are being wasted, you know, in a city which is some of the poorest people in the world. You know, there's just, there is something deeply grotesque about that. And also, you know, I suppose it's summed up when you see the women's 10,000 meters for me, you know, was, was, was really horrible <laughs> to watch it because you watch this magnificent uh, athlete who, 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 who set a world record, who smashed the world record, you know, who destroyed the, the, the women's 10,000 meters field. And you want to believe, you know, you want to say, well, you know, this is this is one of the greatest ever sporting achievements that we've ever witnessed. And it's a privilege to watch it. And, and yet you're not feeling that you're feeling. I don't believe this. And maybe that's completely outrageous and utterly unfair. But you're stuck in this. And, and, and I think when we've reached that point, you know, then you have to rethink the whole Olympics. You know, this, this sense that. It's only about doing whatever it takes to win. Um, it's it's not an appropriate set of values for the 21st century. When we need to be thinking about other things, and we need to be thinking about you know uh, celebrating the human spirit in a maybe you know slightly more democratic and open way. And, and but is, is this Fintan though maybe not actually what the human spirit really is? I mean, the athletes cheat, the politicians <laughs> cheat, the developers cheat. Um, you know, everybody tries to make money off the back of the of the games, uh, nobody's really honest. This is actually, there's a kind of inevitability about the way that the Olympics and other, you know, mega events, you know, the World Cup isn't, isn't really too different uh, about the way they are because it's people who organize them and people who participate them and uh, people who make money off the back of them. And this is just really the kind of event that, you know, a lot of people get together. This is what you come up with. I think you're right, you know, that, 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 that you're, you're absolutely right about that, you know, that the fact is nobody is surprised, you know, so, so none of us actually are really deeply shocked 
uh, you know, we look at you look at the Olympic, Olympic, and who is this organised by? You know, it's. I mean, is the International Olympic Committee, uh, you know, a a, a great uh, gathering of, of of the world's most um, selfless visionaries? Uh, <laughs> certainly not. You know, and the values, therefore, are the values of of, of this, of, you know, of, of this kind of hyper global capitalistic world that we live in, and uh, you know, but. It doesn't have to be like that, you know. You you could actually conceive of the Olympics as a very different kind of thing. For for a start, you know, it's it's kind of ludicrous in this age of mass communications that you have to have the Olympics in 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 one place, you know. <laughs> I mean, and therefore all the waste, all of the the the, the sort of excess that that comes with that, you know. Uh, uh, like, what would be wrong with having the sailing in Dublin? having the, the the marathon in Tokyo, you know, having different events in different places so that they could actually be taken down in scale a bit. And it would still be a huge celebration of sport, uh, of communications, of the nicer aspects of, 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 of globalization. You know, we have the technology to do this now, you know, and there'll be nothing learned from Rio. You know, we're, we're like Rio, where, where huge numbers of the people of that city despise the Olympics, hate the Olympics being in their city. So, you know, for a lot of citizens, it's, it's become a kind of curse rather than something that, you know, ought to be a blessing and a compliment and something that you want to display your city to the world. Are oh, you listening to Fintan O'Toole on Second Captain Sunday this morning, whose first sporting hero is Jim Hogan, Irish marathon runner from the 1964 Olympics in Tokyo. And we have got a lot of response to you here. Fintan texts in on 51551. Lads, Brian says, Jim Hogan didn't just change his nationality. He went on to win European gold for Great Britain in 1966. Only Irishman to ever win Euro gold. That's impressive stuff. Jim Hogan was a hero, quit representing Ireland because he was sick of the way the officials were running Irish athletics wow there's a hell of a backstory here alright uh, Bekele won the gold in Rome in his bare feet and was about to run Tokyo on barefoot as well until his new sponsor Puma spotted him warming up without shoes Puma won <laughs> says Ken McHugh <laughs> maybe the first changing of the Olympics into the commercial monster mm, that, that was it become. that was the exact oh, moment yeah oh, there's an amazing really photograph of him uh, running under the arch uh, one of the arches one of the old Roman arches in Rome in his bare feet under floodlights it's one of the great Olympic photographs of all time run barefoot if he wants to mm-hmm. uh, I would say your presenter Ken has a lovely voice for radio enjoy listening says an anonymous texter Ken if you want to thank the anonymous thanks texter thanks very much <laughs> we'll have some chat extra about extra husk husk there <laughs> for the very thank you. husky we're going to have some chat about Pat Hickey and we'll get into this sporting life of Fintan O'Toole after the break RTE Radio 1 at AIB we know backing your child's education is one of the most important things you can do so we make getting a loan as simple as possible with quick decisions on loans from €1,000, online, on the phone or in branch. When you get doing, we'll back you. Find out more at AIB.ie. Terms 1 to 5 years. Lending criteria, terms and conditions apply. Security may be required and you must be 18 or over. Allied Irish Banks PLC is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. Composing the Island. The massive celebration of classical music in Ireland from 1916 to 2016. Orchestral, choral, chamber, instrumental and song. Wednesday, September 7th to Sunday 25th at the National Concert Hall. With all tickets, just €10. Euro. See rte.ie slash 1916 or nch.ie. Sponsored by Board Namona. RTE, supporting the arts. Today from 11 on RTE Radio 1. You say that cybercrime has now surpassed drug trafficking. Why would you bother getting involved in violent crime where the chances are you're going to get caught? The world of cybercrime is so easy to get involved in. It's a community and you might be an early kid at home, but you're a rock star, you're a hero in the world of cybercrime. And you can go onto the likes of YouTube, type in phrases like carding. You learn two things. One is how to shear a sheep and the other is how to do credit card theft. Marion Fanukin Show on RTE Radio 1 with Ireland's saving specialists. RaboDirect, the straight-talking savings bank. The Ray Darcy Show. We read out a text from Frances in Coolock uh, because her husband had found a wedding ring. It was in the Hogan stand between two seats. He happened to spot it. Listen, we've Kevin on the line. How are you doing, Kevin? Hello, Hello Ray. So this is your ring? That is my ring, definitely. Brilliant, brilliant. <laughs> Lost in Croke Park on a very bad day for Kerry Men, the All-Ireland Senior Football Final of last year. The Ray Darcy Show, weekdays from 3pm on RTE Radio 1. The Ray Darcy Show on RTE Radio 1, proudly sponsored by Volkswagen. Volkswagen.ie 
second gap and first gap and whatever. In every Olympiad, the marathon is the climax. As it was in ancient Olympia, so it is in modern Tokyo. A baby bikila of Ethiopia, Hedili Ben Bubaki of Tunisia, James Hogan of Ireland, Ronald Hill of England, Demissie Wolde of Ethiopia. Somebody stumbled, ladies and gentlemen. It is almost unbelievable as the field gets away from the start of the marathon. At the turn, ladies and gentlemen, it's a baby bakila of Ethiopia leading Hogan of Ireland. The distance from the stadium, 20 kilometers, 541 meters, 77 centimeters, and they're on their way. Yeah, it was as good as it got for poor old Jim Hogan during the 1964 Tokyo Olympic Marathon. He was last seen on that documentary, sitting on the side of the road, gasping for water. Unfortunately, but what a heroic effort, all the same. People are asking for the name of the movie, Murph. Yeah, it's uh, Tokyo Olympiad. I'm sure if you went searching for Tokyo 64 Olympic movie. There aren't that many official movies yeah, made. It's all, on, uh, it's all on YouTube, right. all two hours of it. Um, and it's brilliant. It's an amazingly shot movie. Shot on film. And a documentary shot on film on always looks ten times better than your digital cameras. I like the way the commentator was getting very excited as we've gotten used to over the years. But the narrator was a little bit old style. He didn't mm. exactly bring Jeff Stelling levels of enthusiasm and bombastic <laughs> proceedings there. No. Yeah, I liked it. No, I, no. I, no I, very, know. very... Uh, you don't have to be shouty all the time, no. necessarily. You're listening to Second Captain Sunday with Owen Murph and Ken. All we were missing from that clip really were the tears of this morning's guest, author and columnist Fintan O'Toole. Fintan, we haven't talked about the Pat Hickey arrest yet. What do you make of the narrative that's built up that this reflects badly somehow on Ireland as a country? Do you think it is embarrassing for Ireland? Well, it doesn't embarrass me. You know, <laughs> I, 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 I never saw, and I don't think most Irish people see Pat Hickey as some kind of essence of Irishness. You know, uh, uh, you know. I suppose we used to have a sense of ourselves as being the most holy, uh, you know, islands. Uh, on earth and the kind of moral beacon to the rest of the world. Uh, I think we've grown up enough to realize that we're just as good and just as bad as everybody else. And, you know, Patrick, remember, isn't just the, uh, the the head of the Irish Olympic Council. You know, he's head of the European Olympic uh, Councils. You know, yeah. he's, a, he's a member of the International Olympic Committee. And, uh, you know, he, if he has embarrassed anybody, he's embarrassed the Olympic movement. You know, he's, he, he, you know the idea that Patrick is some kind of weird pariah figure you know in in the olympic movements he he has always seemed to me to be actually very typical uh of of, of the way the olympic movement is now and remember it was only a month ago that patiki was one was you know even before the report on the on systematic doping in in russia came out you know patiki was the person who was out rubbishing it uh, saying that it lacked integrity and independence, and that it was it was disgraceful to suggest that the Russians shouldn't be allowed to compete. So I, I'm I'm not sure why people should feel that somehow he's he's let Ireland down, or that he's even let the Olympics down. You know, he's he is what he is, and uh, he's been very successful at it. And I, I I suspect, and maybe I could be totally wrong, but I suspect you don't get to be on the International Olympic Committee. By, by being um, the nicest, sweetest, um, kindest, most principled person in the world. Well, the uh, I was very interested in the dynamic between him and Shane Ross. I think uh, of everything that happened in the last week, I mean, it, it almost seems like a, a lifetime ago now that Shane Ross goes over and uh, it flags in advance the fact that he is going to really lay down the law to Pat Hickey, find out what's going on, make sure there's an independent member drafted into the inquiry that the OCI are going to be launching into the uh, ticket issue. Uh, apparently the, the media advisor last week was briefing about how as president of the Olympic Council of Ireland this is the OCI's media advisor Hickey was answerable to the International Olympic Committee not the Irish Minister for Sport this was after it had been revealed that while Pat Hickey said the meeting was excellent that he had with Shane Ross he wasn't going to be able to accede to the request to bring an independent member onto the onto the panel I suppose that ties into what you were talking about there that Hickey very much over the years has become uh, an IOC man uh, somebody who's answerable to that strange world well certainly he doesn't seem to have displayed that he's answerable to the Irish government in the last week or so absolutely and you know uh, remember that if if Patiki hadn't been arrested uh, we would still be getting the line you know to basically butt out this is none of your business uh, the Irish Olympic Committee will conduct its own internal inquiry uh, and uh, you know really we are not answerable we're not accountable 
to, to the Irish taxpayer, who after all, you know, puts up very substantial amounts of money in relation to funding the IOC and its and its member organizations. So, uh, you know, it's it's only the sort of the, the the extraordinary drama that we subsequently got that's led to a change of tone. Um, but has that change of tone, uh, is it just a tactical shift, you know, where, where they're now saying they want to be open about the whole thing and they want to, you know, of course they will cooperate with whatever inquiry there is. Uh, they don't have much choice because of the, 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 the drama of Pat Hickey's arrest. Uh, but has there been a fundamental change of culture? I, I mean, most of us remember seeing, uh, you know, Pat Hickey on RTE News a fortnight ago telling us what the succession in the uh, Irish Olympic Committee was going to be, you know, that, that, that this guy who's now the acting president uh, would take over from him. And then that John Delaney, in turn, you know, would, would, would take over from, from, from the second guy, you know. So he was kind of, it was like listening to, you know, Comrade Brezhnev, uh, you know, announcing at the uh, People's Presidium, you know, that, that Comrade Andropov was going to take over. And after Comrade Andropov, you know, would be Comrade somebody else, you know. <laughs> it, was, it was absolutely astonishing. I mean, what other organization do we have you know where, where the head of the organization could confidently predict essentially the next 25 years of of, of, of who was going to be in charge uh, who who was going to be elected you know mm. um, i mean you couldn't make the stuff up uh, so you, you wonder you know is, is this about pat hickey or is it about a deeper culture in which the committee man you know the 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 operator the, the person who can who can do patronage who can do the politics of it is the person uh, who's who's always going to rise to the top in 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 in, in the way these institutions work, and um, you know that that kind of mediocrity, that kind of of attitude, that 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 uh, you know is is all about making alliances and keeping everybody sweet, and getting yourself up the ladder. Uh, it, it's very hard to think that that's going to change fundamentally just just because Pat Hickey isn't there. And this is again, I think, why. We shouldn't focus too much on the idea that Pat Hickey has shamed Ireland. You know, I, th- I think Pat Hickey has, has, has just reminded us what international sports administration is like. All right, Fintan, let's get to the really, truly important stuff now. Were you any good at sport growing up? Um, no, I, I wasn't. <laughs> um, I, I was crap at sport, basically. Um, and the only sport that was really available, so I, I went to kind of Christian Brothers School in Dublin, uh, and you know it was a kind of three line whip. There was only one sport you could possibly play, uh, which was Gaelic football. Um, and I actually love Gaelic football. I love watching it. I love following it. But Jesus, I, I was an appalling Gaelic footballer. I was a you know skinny, uh, undergrown kid. And I mean Gaelic football is no no place for skinny undergrown kids who have no skills. Uh, my my abiding memory of Gaelic football is the the the, uh, the fifteen acres up in Phoenix Park in the winter wearing these really horrific hairy jerseys school jerseys you know uh, and uh, and the cold and the footballs uh, in those days were you know the leather old leather ball which got soaked with water and mud and the ball being driven at your naked thigh <laughs> by some big hefty oaf you know, <laughs> and your thigh going blue. That's, that's mostly what I remember. So I was actually, I, I, I was quite fast and I used my speed to run away as far as possible from the ball. Um, so you, you, you wouldn't really have noticed me on the pitch except for this kind of blur of a figure who was generally running in the opposite direction to where the ball was going. So I was pretty miserable, actually. Um, <laughs> uh, and uh, I, 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 I have remained so to this day. All right. Well, uh, Gaelic football aside, we have uh, established your running bona fides, Fintan. When did you when did you first pick it up? So I, I, I kind of think I, I, I'm sorry. I'm kind of sorry that I, I there wasn't athletics or anything in school because I was I was reasonably quick runner, you know. And I, I, I think if there had been athletics, I, I, I might have been. I, I certainly would never have been a kind of uh, you know champion runner or anything like that. But uh, I, I might have been an okay runner, you know. So I, I always kind of liked running, but I, I didn't really start doing it until I was well into my late 20s, you know, and I just started doing it for, I'm a recreational runner, you know, I, 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 I run most days, you know, but, but I do it because uh, it's, it's as much for the me- mental health as it is for physical health, you know, but I, I actually, I love the act of, I love, to, I love the business of running. And the funny thing is it does, it, it, however badly you do it, I mean, even if you're a kind of really bad uh I was going to say middle-aged, but maybe it doesn't even qualify as middle-aged anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but you do appreciate running a lot more, you know. It, it, you, so I love watching it. I love, I love watching the runners, you know, because you, 
you, you get some sense of what the time they're running might be like. <laughs> you know, you think, holy God, you know, in contrast to your own efforts, uh, you, you get a real sense of what the achievements of great runners is. And, you know, we had a fantastic period of running in Ireland. You know, I, I think people don't appreciate it so much, but, you know, you think of those middle distance runners, I mean, Eamon Coughlin being, being, you know, the outstanding example of it, but, you know, people like Marcus O'Sullivan, Ray Flynn, you know, th- these were fantastic runners. And, Again, it was kind of the winner, you know, because they never won Olympic medals, they were kind of dismissed as failures somehow, you know, but these guys were dominating running. Uh, and at the middle distance, you know, the really competitive, the 1500 meters, the 5000 meters subsequently, you know, and they were dominating it in, in the United States for years and years, you know, and uh, I always found that really thrilling, you know, just following those runners, uh, you know, I just loved watching them. I loved the elegance and the speed and the grace they had. Yeah, I came across a lovely line that you had in a piece you wrote a good few years back. Now, the marathon is the day when the wimps too get to be heroes. It's not a sport, but our revenge on sport, <laughs> which maybe ties into yeah. those not very happy memories you have of playing Gaelic football as a child, Finton. But you've been very humble so far about this running ability of yours. Can you confirm that you did, in fact, complete the 1996 Dublin City Marathon in a very, very creditable time of three hours and 24 minutes? I did, I did. That's, 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 I've, that's I've run a few marathons goals, myself, yeah. Finton, and I've I got to be honest with you, I haven't got within about 15 minutes of that go time. On, well, go on then. Uh, well, th- three hours, four, we're not going to get into running times. Yes, talk. we are, but, th- but it's you, we are. Three hours, 42 is my fastest, yeah. uh, I've got to be honest. Well, I kind of hoped to be, try- to be able to do it in less than three and a half hours, so I was kind of, I'm thrilled with that, yeah. Yeah, I was hoping for that as well, but <laughs> sorry, Murphy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you have beaten on here convincingly, Finton, uh, but I, I found uh, a list of other runners that have completed marathons. Uh, George W. Bull Bush ran three hours, 44 minutes in 1993. So you sure showed uh, W who was boss. I also have uh, Puff Daddy's time here. Uh, Finton, uh, did you run faster or slower than legendary hip hop performer and producer Puff Daddy? What do you think? Uh, I, I, it depends on whether he was on drugs or not. <laughs> <laughs> no, four hours, fi- uh, four hours, 14. Finton, you, you handed Puff Daddy his arse. Oh, but that, uh, you've made my day now. Yeah, it's a career <laughs> highlight for Finton. I'm sure. Okay, Murph, I think you've got all you need now. <laughs> There's a lot of competition here, mm. but let us rank his sporting life. You don't understand. I could have had class. We don't have stars in this game, Mrs. Weaver. Well, what do you have then? People like me. I could have been a contender. I could have been somebody. Okay, Fintan, here goes. Uh, Gabby Logan is still top on 88 points, even with a handicap system that we have put in place. Lenny Abramson is last on 70 points. So is the ambition here not to be last, or is a top three finish the aim, in which case we have to finish ahead of last week's guest, Dara O'Brien, who got 80 of your finest Irish points last week. Well, the categories are as follows. The sporting highlight of your career, your current sporting ability, and your overall sporting knowledge. The sporting highlight of your career simply must be, as we've just discussed... Uh, 3 hours 24 minutes in the Dublin Marathon in 1996 it brooks no argument to put that in perspective uh, I have some more here Sarah Palin <laughs> yeah. 3 minutes 59 uh, Al Gore uh, 4 hours 57 minutes come on Haruki Murakami 3 hours 31 oh, yeah, the novelist. Well. he's written a great yeah. book on running yeah. on the other hand Alan Turing ran one in uh, 2 hours 46 and he's probably smarter than you as well Fintan so don't get ahead of yourself I'm going to give you 70 points in total uh, current sporting ability you've said yourself that marathon running is not for sports people uh, it's for people who want to take revenge on sports people so it's a sport obviously it's a sport just not one that requires a lot of ability so 50 points for you uh, for your steadfast ongoing dedication to your running and as for overall sporting knowledge uh, well anyone who's stuck with Nottingham Forest since 1966 as I know that you have deserves our respect so that's got to carry some weight I'm going to give you 60 points for that so 60 points in total and how shall I put this it guarantees you a top 10 finish in our eight-person <laughs> league of Ireland's greatest ever non-sports person, sports person. So, Fintan O'Toole, this has been your sporting life. Happy enough with that, Fintan? I'm, I'm absolutely delighted with that. Uh, you know, uh, uh, anything that's short of humiliation for me is, is a triumph. <laughs> absolutely. There, don't ever lower that bar. Brilliant stuff. Look, you've been absolutely amazing. Round of applause, everybody, please, for Fintan O'Toole. Real pleasure, real pleasure. Bahamas, where the Caribbean 
Reckless Eric and whole wide world there on Second Captain Sunday. A lot of love, a lot of people loving Fintan O'Toole and his recollections of Jim Hogan, as well as Fintan's own running career. I think it's the first time somebody has admitted to being crap at sport on the <laughs> yeah. show, Murph. Lenny Abramson sort of hinted he wasn't hugely talented, mm. but he stopped well short. <laughs> well short. Well short. I was ready to jump all over a mistake I thought you'd made, by the way. Oh, yeah, go on. You gave the marathon time of rap mogul Puff Daddy. Yeah. Here I was, kind of rubbing my hands with glee, thinking, Murph, you idiot. It's been P. Diddy for years now. Right. Had a look at it during the song there. He changed it back to Puff Daddy two years ago. I'm not sure if Murph knew that. I think he was still using the song, the name in 1997, but so it turned out. He was out, mistaken, even though. He was mistaken twice. No, no. no. Two, two wrongs I, did make a right. However, I got to the right answer. This isn't a math test. You don't have to show your workings, right? The fact of the matter is, I was right. Alanis Morissette ran a marathon in four hours, 17 minutes as well, and I just feel like. I remember Hogan's race says uh, texter here and him sitting on the footpath I saw him previous to that running in uh, cross country in Kilmallock as Jim Cregan if Hogan had a coach on site he'd have gotten the silver all he had to do was cruise that's from Kerry or else from a texter from Kerry I don't know but thanks so much for the first hand recollection brilliant stuff there a lot of people loving the Hogan story you handed Puff Daddy his arse now there's a sentence I never expected to hear on RT Radio 1 says Daniel never a sentence <laughs> and said to Fintan O'Toole yeah as well. I never thought Fintan O'Toole is still a bit shell-shocked by that one I think alright let's cross